Hello, Third Man Podcast listeners. This is your co-host, Paul Kaminsky, and uh, I'm just chiming in early on here to let you know that I had a small issue with my microphone this week, so there's nothing wrong with your audio. My voice is just going to come in a little bit under James's. Uh, I'm letting you know so that you can envision in your head Jack White's filter placed on this, this old-timey version of my voice this week. But fear not, my voice will be back to its regular stature next episode. I hope you enjoy the show. The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Welcome to the Third Men Podcast this week. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. This is our Jack White History Podcast where uh, James and I take you on a tour through Jack White's music and background and historical context and all that good stuff. And we learn as much as we can and then we spit it all out back at you at 300 miles per hour. In some form of torrential outpour. Yeah, and it gives you all the blues. (laughs) (laughs) So we spit it at you so hard you get black and blue <laughs> on two trees. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so today we're going to be doing a new feature for the podcast. We're going to actually be talking about a tour in a segment we call Jack on Tour. This tour we're going to be spotlighting is the very first tour with the Rack on Tours, the 2006 Broken Boy Soldiers Tour. And let me mm. tell you, this one was a friggin' doozy, man. A lot of but shows. Let me here. interrupt you. What? For just one second. Stop! You got, yeah, that's exactly right, Paul. We've got to stop breaking down. 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 Stop breaking down is our segment where we correct things that we got wrong in prior episodes. So in episode six, you and I had both mentioned the amount of Grammys that Jack had won. I recall stumbling through that segment. Yes, go on. Correct. And in said segment, you were technically wrong because you said nine or more. Uh Uh-huh. I just wanted to clarify for the listeners out there that it is definitely more. It was 11. (laughs) Whoa. 11 Grammys. Whoa. 
He's a regular Grammy hog. So that was a minor stop breaking down. Yeah, breaking down. All right, so let's get back to our main topic here. First of all, on this podcast, we've talked about the White Stripes. We've talked about Jack White. We've touched on the dead weather a little bit. I feel like the biggest hole in what we haven't covered so far on our podcast yet has been the Tours. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Tours are the most straightforward, I would say, rock and roll band Jack White has ever been a part of as a famous person slash musician. He formed it in 2005 with Brendan Benson of Brendan Benson fame, Jack Lawrence, uh, a.k.a. LJ of the Greenhorns and Blanche fame, and Patrick Keeler, also of the Greenhorns. A supergroup. One could call it a supergroup. In fact, a lot of like press outlets at the time sort of wrestled whether they should call it a supergroup, whether they shouldn't. The band grew out of a song that Jack and Brendan wrote together in an as-yet-unidentified attic somewhere. And this is via an MTV UK interview. Apparently, Steady As She Goes was a song that Jack and Brendan had got together to work on. And when the Greenhorn boys uh, signed up to turn the song into a recording, they kind of realized this thing clicked as a band. Now, this all took place following Get Behind Me Satan's recording and therefore the formation of Third Man Records, because Get Behind Me Satan was really the first push into the Third Man Records. So let's, let's hear a little bit of Jack talking about teasing what the Tours would become. I've actually started a whole new band. Uh, well, we've started a whole new band. Me and Brendan and Patrick and Jack from the Greenhorns, we've started a whole new band called the Tours, and we're recording an album right now. So uh, it wasn't, it's not really, I don't even consider it a side project or anything, or it's not like me and Brendan working or me producing Brendan or, or whatever. We were just, we just want to start a whole new band and, and uh, you know, to, to go right along the side of the White Stripes, you know. Now, is that something that you would tour with as well? Yes, definitely. Can't wait. Um, probably next year. Now, we will get into a whole show on the Tours formation and making of that album, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're just touching on this stuff here. But today we're really going to focus on the fact that this is a rock and roll band that plays live. Mm, yes, they do. It's a band that's meant to be heard live. Jack and Brendan, the two big forces there, Brendan being the sort of pop force, Jack being kind of the rock. I don't even know. What- He's their rock. Yeah, he's their rock. He's the rock upon which they built their home. Right. There are two sort of big forces here, and, and LJ and Keeler are sort of there as a, in a support role, but also could very much contributing to the sound. Keeler is kind of a straightforward rock drummer. Up to this point, we had heard Jack with Meg and not much else. Now, obviously, LJ and Keeler played with Jack on Family Road. Yes, they did. They were a part of the backing band with Loretta Lynn off of the Stuart Sykes engineered Van Leer Rose. Right. So, I mean, we had heard the beginnings of this relationship, but it wasn't until these four guys got together that we really saw it solidified. And boy, as a force, this group is the ultimate rock and roll realization of Jack White's straight rock potentials. Now the little room is an arena, and instead of being swallowed up by the freedom, he actually, like, rules it. All of his weird rules are gone with this, and suddenly he's Led Zeppelin, and he's the Kinks, and he's just, it's just, they're free to be the rock and roll group we kind of always knew Jack had the potential to be. It sounds like we're talking down about the White Stripes. Really not here. It's just it's just apples and oranges, you know. Jack, the, the White Stripes are a... They're an experiment in style, and the tours are just let loose. I would say that it's probably a lot to do with Brendan Benson's pop infusion, too, because it's the hardcore blues 
plus the easy approachability of modern rock pop music put together, which is essentially what you said before, a Led Zeppelin or your Pink Floyds or your Doors. Yeah. Uh, honestly, hearing about their formation too gave me flashbacks to the Traveling Wilburys because that group started when George Harrison and a couple other guys got together to write and record Handled With Care and then it blossomed into an album. That's kind of what happened here too. Right. Your Tom Petty's and your Bob Dylan's, a.k.a. a couple of guys. Yeah. <laughs> Nobel Prize winner, Bobish Dylan. This is a musical statement that when you peel away the gimmicks of the White Stripes, Jack White doesn't just continue to dominate. He soars even further. Like, he takes it way beyond. Could one call it an old familiar friend? Yes, you just might. <laughs> you just might. So they release Steady As She Goes as a uh, seven-inch single in the UK in January 2006 after having recorded the prior year. They didn't actually follow up with the US version until March of that year. And then the track debuted pretty well. It hit number four in the, in the UK singles charts. I think it did about equivalent, a little bit lower in the US. But this means that they have a a hit single for all intents and purposes going into this big tour that they're planning and the tour is mainly based out of north america and europe with a brief stop over in japan and they hit the ground running is absolutely crazy so yeah let's get into some of what they're taking with them on this tour So on this tour, Jack is switching up his stage persona. He's switching up his stage look, the feel of the show. This debuts kind of that big R kind of calligraphy logo that the group would wind up using. It's got a, a like a southern western vibe going on with his whole look and the band's whole aesthetic. Yeah, very cowboy-like. Yeah. And that's seen in a lot of different stuff. I think Rob Jones also played a role in that, which we'll, we'll get to a little bit later. The thing with the Rack and Tours is they didn't really cling to a color scheme like the rest of his bands and projects did. Although they sort of had a, a copper sepia undertone with a lot of things, at least with their first album. Definitely. And black is still there. I mean, just to give you an example, when Jack walked on stage, his typical tour attire tended to be a, a tight black t-shirt, chin strap beard, and mm -hmm. checkerboard pants. So this thing, it veers into like sort of cowboy territory. Brendan is wearing this sort of flowery kind of patterned shirt with a huge collar and this blazer and Keeler and LJ are sort of matching with kind of blazers. So they, they definitely look like a band of raconteurs. Right. Yeah. It's, it's going with that old timey storyteller look. So Jack's touring guitar was named Claudette Colbert. He plays a couple different guitars on this tour, but he also looks like he plays a Gibson Les Paul, sort of traditional-looking instruments on this thing. So the band obviously only has an album under its belt in terms of material. With the Racks, he's not doing White Stripe songs. They're not doing Brendan Benson songs. They're not doing Greenhorn songs. They're doing their album, Broken Boy Soldiers, which would be out shortly, sort of in the middle of the first part of the tour, and they're doing covers. What they're really touring on here is Jack's star power. He had been in movies. He is a household name up to this point. Jack is a rock star, and that is the thing that's propelling the tours through this tour. They're a new band, but they're able to play these mid-sized venues purely on Jack's name. Now, I remember seeing this myself on that first tour as i recall you know we, he was playing kind of smallish venues but packing them full so anyway we'll get into that stuff a little bit later but that kind of gives you the background here to illustrate a typical set list they're opening sometimes with different songs 
this is kind of a snapshot of the kind of stuff they're doing. They're playing Intimate Secretary to open the show. Fantastic song. Into Level. Fantastic song. Steady as she goes. Fantastic song. As that single is picking up steam, they're playing it later and later in the show. They typically, from there, go into Together. Mm. A cover, you know, I'm sort of looking at It Ain't Easy. That's a, a Bowie cover. They're playing that one quite a bit, but that was the, they're inserting a lot of covers in there. Five on the Five, which th- they played all over this tour, which did not come out until the Rack and Tour's second album in 2008, Consolers of the Lonely. Neat. Yellow Sun, mm-hmm. another cover. Typically, again, I'm saying common covers for this tour. This one is Bang Bang, My Baby Shot yeah. Me Down. They played this one just incessantly. Broken Boy Soldier, another cover insertion. Let's just call it Crazy by Norris Barkley because they did that one. Store-bought Bones, and then their closer is Blue Veins, which they do kind of a crazy solo and stuff on. When I heard this song on the album, I wasn't too thrilled with it, but I remember hearing it live just going, wow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was right there with you. There's some songs that are better, way better live. wish he would trot this one out again on his solo tours because i would love to hear it again i'd just love to hear more racks in general yes absolutely for an encore they typically played another cover and then hands to close the show which is sort of a brendan benson helmed song some of these songs you can hear are more play more poppy than others let's hear a rendition on the tour of hands this one when we saw brendan in 2012 on the what kind of world tour correct which he plays quite frequently you know these two writing styles are very distinct and you can tell when jack's playing them on his tour he's playing the ones he had the biggest hands in you know Mm -hmm. your carolina dramas your top yourselves that kind of stuff his hands were not big in hands (laughs) check That's a snapshot of the sort of average set list, but let's really go into the beginning of this tour. All right. So, journey with us back, if you will. <laughs> so, the tour began in all places of Liverpool. Oh, the Liverpoolians. It began in Liverpool at the Carling Academy on March 20th, 2006. They would actually return to the Carling Academy later in the tour, but this is where the whole thing started. So on this show, they played a total of 13 songs, Level, Intimate Secretary, Hands, Steady She Goes, Together, House Is Not a Motel, which is a cover, Store-Bought Bones, Call It a Day, Yellow Sun, Broken Boy Soldier, Five on the Five, again, played at their first show. That is bizarre. I guess it does fit in with that first album's business blue veins and then the encore was heading for the texas border which is a cover now let's play a little bit of level from that show There's a really fun article about the first London tour with the Racks. 
The raconteurs, however, carry the sweet ring of authenticity. The four are old friends who claim they bond through basketball, bowling, and flashcards, not to mention a daily routine incorporating 20 minutes of calisthenics and then math quizzes. (laughs) Yeah, this is The Guardian. Oh. Oh, my God. First time I met Jack, I hated him, Benson smirks. Brendan and I were dating, adds Keeler. With a rise set to the mouth. Yeah, we were dating. Benson rolls on. And Jack was like, moving in on Patrick. They began to snicker. Then they had me. Lawrence suddenly pipes up from the corner. I was a mistake. <laughs> oh, then they had me. You were not a mistake, says Keeler finally. You were just not expected. That's all. These guys are a bunch of jokesters, okay? It's all about the goose, that Keeler. He's, he's the George Harrison of the group. Yeah. The quiet one. I wonder what he calls his haircut. Arthur. So, anyway. Weiler? <laughs> this really is hurting my hand, though. Is your hand asleep? No, it's... Then you're fine. They embark on pretty much a show-per-night tour almost till the end of the year. I mean, this wow. thing, they play together so much. I can imagine the kind of bond that must have formed between those guys, because from now until literally New Year's Eve, they play almost every night together. Yikes. So, from this first show in Liverpool... That led to a very brief European tour, five shows in March of 2006. First on the 21st at the ABC in Glasgow, Scotland. Then on the 22nd at Northumbria University in Newcastle, England. The 23rd in Astoria Theatre, London. And then on the 24th at the Birmingham Barfly in Birmingham, England. So they do a couple quick shows, you know, boom, 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 boom. Let's go, practice, one, two. Night after night in London before they travel back to North America. Some of these seem like pretty intimate venues, too. Yeah, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I say like medium size. It's small to medium. I mean, they're playing not arenas, barring festivals. That's sort of the other side of this tour. They played Mm -hmm. just a ton of those. And we'll kind of get into those a little as we go, but... So their first North American gig, which, by the way, is going to be released in Jack White's Vault, package number 30, later this year. Yeah, which is awesome. Was played on April 7th, 2006, and that's their first show ever on American soil at the Irving Plaza in New York City. Nice. To be noted, while the single Steady As She Goes had been out in the UK since January and in North America as of March the 7th of that year, the full album, Broken Boy Soldiers, didn't come out until May 15th, over a month after their first gig. So they're playing a lot of songs no one's heard yet. Yeah, some of the stuff I was looking forward to the most upon seeing Jack White live. It was part of the fun of hearing these songs at his tours and trying to be like, is this a cover or is this a song that he hasn't included on an album yet? Yeah. Or is this just a song that he just wrote on the fly? You know, it was that kind of atmosphere to it. Yeah, definitely. So back to the racks. Uh, So the full tour really began after that. You know, even though they took a kind of a two month break ish between the Irving Plaza tour and the full tour, there were still some scattered shows in May and June in North America. And I only know this because I found a review of one at the Fonda Theater in Hollywood from June 7th. Oh, nice. And I have to read a a portion of this review of the show because it's It's awesome. It's from a local L.A. source. So (laughs) this is from the reviewer. At heart, the evening was all about rock and roll. Members of the audience talked eagerly of Wolf Mother, Led Zeppelin, and and the Scissor Sisters before, (laughs) before the artists took the stage. 
Weezer guitarist Brian Bell, his face covered by a light beard, was in the audience. Cars circling the streets of Hollywood looking for parking spots blared the Foo Fighters' My Poor Brain into the night air. <laughs> they, are, they are playing my college playlist, yes. like, entirely. This is a snapshot of 2006, for sure. The show began with a short but tasteful set of rockabilly from Soda and his Pawn Shop 3. Somewhat inappropriate. Why didn't, why didn't he call it soda in the pops? All right. <laughs> oh, God. Missed opportunity. Uh, a somewhat inappropriate name, as there were a total of eight musicians on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> among them were among them were singer-songwriter Izzy Cox and members of Rose's Pawn Shop, who are part of the LA rockabilly scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One. In addition to several dusty ballads, they performed a stellar version of Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire before clearing the stage. A half hour later, the raconteurs emerged to wild applause. <laughs> and opened with a thunderous version of Intimate Secretary. True to expectations, the volume at the Fonda was much too loud. (laughs) Though, as of yet, nothing has compared to the towering wall of sound known as Broken Social Scene that performed there last November. Oh my goodness gracious. I'm telling you, this thing is a snapshot. The group took advantage of this volume, however, adding extra vigor to their already lively performance. Uh, Extended guitar solos and noisy breakdowns were plentiful. The dueling guitar solos introduced the single Steady As She Goes were among the set's highlights. were White's fuzzed out vocals during Broken Boy Soldiers. Now he's using that effect. It's some kind of fuzz thing. Yeah, um, he's got a and a megaphone that can make his voice do that. Right. I think on the first tour he's he's talking into a megaphone. What's weird is he turns his back to the audience when he does it because it's sort of facing the other direction. Yeah, either that or he's just trying his best not to shout at the audience with a megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> so from there they fly back to Europe. And they do a leg of 11 shows across Europe. They play in June 21st, the Wireless Festival in London, another festival. The 23rd, they play post Bonnorf, Germany in Berlin. Uh, they, oh, yes. They, Famous Bonnorf. They, <laughs> they play in Germany actually for quite a while. They play something called the Hurricane Festival, the Southside Festival, something called just Arena in Vienna, Austria. Muffenthal in Munich. <laughs> 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 and then, this is, uh, by the way, most of the episode is going to be James and I laughing at European city names. Okay, I'm sorry, sorry guys. And then from there, they play Milkwig in Amsterdam, ne- Netherlands, on the thirtieth uh, of June. They were so thirsty after their stop in Muffendal <laughs> that needed some Milkwig. <laughs> Muffendal was just the tops. Um, uh, everybody feels okay, right? 
Everybody's friends now, right? Right. <laughs> Y'all brothers and sisters out there now? Y'all deep in the trenches. Mud on your shoes. Smiles on your faces. All right. Uh, from there, they go to Belgium, where they play Rock Workter. The famous song by the B-52s. <laughs> <laughs> then they play the Roskilde Festival in Denmark, which I think the Stripes actually play as well, because I have, I have something from them. And then uh, Accelerator Festival, Malmo in Sweden, and they do two shows at that festival, at the second in Stockholm, Sweden, on uh, July the 6th. By the way, you're going to notice they crisscross the Atlantic seemingly at random. They, they don't just stay in Europe for a while. They kind of hang in Europe for like a month and then they go back to the States for like a month and then back and then so on and so forth. Keeping us on our toes. Yes. It goes to show you how big his star power was in Europe, honestly. Yeah. All right. He had definite star power in Europe. For sure. So from there, we go back to North America for a total of seven shows. On July 15th, they play the Fillmore Auditorium in Denver. On the 18th, they play the Marquee Theater in Temple, Arizona. The 20th, they do a two-night gig at the Wiltern Theater in L.A. The 23rd, they head up to San Francisco for the Warfield. 25th of July, they play the Roseland Theater in Portland, Oregon. And then they wrap up that... Uh, With that slow gin (laughs) fears? If that ain't love, tell me what it is. (laughs) They wrap up that particular North American leg at the Moore Theater in Seattle. So this is them sort of staying more or less on the West Coast. And while they're on the West Coast, they do a one-gig stint in Japan. Weird. The only time they differ from the European-North American thing. It makes a little bit of sense, I guess. It's interesting because the, the Stripes had definitely been to Japan. So I guess they did have some, some star power there as well as there's always a Japanese specific release for each Stripes single. And I guess the Tours album as well. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. It's interesting that they didn't choose Brazil or any of the South American countries. Yes, that is weird. That's definitely weird. The thing they played in Japan was called the Fuji Rock Festival, which actually Jack returned to in 2012 with his band during the Blunderbuss tour. So Jack, no stranger, the Fuji Rock Festival, he played there with Megan and Stripes in 2004. This is a big rock festival out in Japan. So Jack had been there a few times up to this point. Anyway, let's listen to uh, you guys. You have to listen to this. This is the band being interviewed at the Fuji Rock Festival. And and here's Patrick Keeler just being a goof up. So how you guys doing? You ready for your live, your show? Yeah, yes, we're ready yes. for it. We're ready for you it. excited? It's your first time as the Reconters, right? In Japan, yeah. is right. Oh, it's the first time in Japan as the Reconters. Yes. Wow. That's really exciting. Mm. Yeah, we are excited. It it's been two years since you've been here? Or oh, what you guys? Wow. I was About here three years. a year ago. Yeah. I was born here. but You are? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. What a coincidence. <laughs> have you had the food yet? No, I have not. Well, I we did. Just, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. really good. Really what did you have? I had beef and salad, uh-huh. and it was good. I had some chips and uh, a chocolate that were shaped like... You can't really get much of that in the States, like can breasts. you? Like breasts? <laughs> yes. No way. Yeah. That must have been a, been a really been good been experience, experience for you. They had nipples. I right, oh, don't have nipples. I'm going to see you guys later. What? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think is the big difference between Fuji Rock and other festivals? The chocolate. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Very good. Now let's also do a little bit of uh, a song from that show. Here's uh, here's Bang Bang, My Baby Shut Me Down. Bang Bang. You 
Fantastic cover. Love that song. Yeah. So from there, they traveled back to North America for a total of three shows. And by shows, I mean, this is kind of like the random leg of the tour. They played the KCRW Studios in Santa Monica, California. So this KCRW set of recordings is actually really, really cool. Let's let's play a little bit of uh, Blue Veins from this. That's kind of like a cool version, right, James? Fucking cool. Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> it's real cool. Very swinging. I, Mellow. Very chill. You know, I agree. I agree. Um, I definitely heard that song. Yes. So, the, I mean, the White Stripes have played here, too. They did, um, I think it was on the Satan thing. They, they did KCRW and stuff. Seems like a seems like a pretty common stop for a lot of groups. I mean, just looking on my iTunes, I already have M Ward live there, and I had no idea I even had that. So there you go. All right, we move on to Lollapalooza in Chicago. Nice, which is obviously a, a very large music festival here in the states. Um, here in the states, <laughs> we call them the states. <laughs> and from there, they played the Michigan Theater in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on August the fifth. Then it's back to Europe for another eight shows. This time, all in August. They played Puckle Pop on the 18th in Belgium. They played the Lowlands Festival in the Netherlands on the 19th. The Olympia Theater in Dublin, Ireland on the 21st. The Botanic Gardens in Belfast, Northern Ireland on the 22nd. Something called the Corn Exchange in Edinburgh, Scotland <laughs> on the 23rd. They would play the friggin' Corn Exchange. Yes, they would. They probably weren't even like playing music. They were probably just shucking corn. <laughs> washing clothes down upon their hands and knees underneath a flock of corn trees i guess uh-huh. <laughs> right the famous corn <laughs> of ireland <laughs> uh, i'm famished and they played something called rock insane in saint claude france on uh, the 25th saint claude van damme yeah. yes uh the reading festival in reading england on the 26th and then they played the leeds festival in uh, in leeds england let's play a little bit of that leeds show Leeds is a huge deal. Then they're back to North America for 11 shows. On the 31st of August, they play the MTV Video Music Awards in New York. On the 10th of September, so we have a couple-day break there, they play the Virgin Festival in Ontario. On the 16th, they play Austin City Limits in Texas. The 20th, they play Hard Rock Live in Florida. The Norva in Virginia. The Virgin Festival in Baltimore. The House of Blues in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Nice. And then the show I went to...
September 25th, the Roseland Ballroom in New York, New York. I was there! Hooray! Hooray for me! And you can see some pictures from the show I was at in the show notes. This was the first of two nights they played there. Actually, the girl I was seeing at the time saw the second night, but she was blacked out drunk and didn't remember any of it. We got into a huge fight over it. Because how dare you forget <laughs> about this man? Yes. And his awesome bands. I was so pissed at her. This has been Paul Ayers' grievances. <laughs> A, a billboard review of this show. I'll just say some highlights from this, which I thought were kind of interesting. What ended up happening was that both Benson and White seemed to be in a bit of a friendly competition on stage. Who could outrock the other? <laughs> With the White Stripes, the duo format obviously doesn't matter. Jack is free to roam and spaz out as he sees fit. With more of a band, he still does that, but Benson chimes in a lot and offers his own rock star moves. Interesting. Yeah, I never really got a, a competition there. It's weird because I, I, in the, earlier in the show I said Jack was the rock upon which they built that band, but... At the same time, I feel like Brendan is the rock of the group in that he holds the song together and Jack occasionally erupts like some kind of weird solar flare that, you know, yeah. kind of <laughs> flies off the handle for a second and Benson brings it right on back into hands. Yeah, together really is where they find their strength. But this person interpreted it as a competition, which may be true, too, because I feel like in successful songwriting partnerships, there's a, an element of competition. Yeah. The quote goes on to say maybe this was conscious or maybe not but the show was divided into two portions the first half being very benson heavy and the second half reserved for white roseland has a reputation for having sound issues but the rhythm section via cincinnati band the greenhorns was as audible as could be expected mostly though they grounded white's guitar explorations much more than in the white stripes in the end I, i've never really considered them a rhythm section so much as just part of the band that's very weird for me to like think about yeah nearly every review i read credits them as the rhythm section it's weird because it's like thinking of ringo and george as the rhythm section like why, yeah why would you do that it's it's very weird i mean what the real unsung hero of this tour is future dead weather member dean fertita who joined them on the majority of these kicks did he really yes he was he okay. was up there doing like keyboard stuff whenever they had like a sound effect that was needed something like that he was providing a lot of that support a lot of what he would wind up ultimately doing in the dead weather but when you look at these tours he's up there with them yeah neat i mean an unofficial rack on tour i mean jack would go on later to say that the rack and tours were just a group of friend musicians who just kind of found their way into a studio one day so fertita being up there makes sense right whenever they mention fertita in these interviews no one talks about queens of the stone age Really? For some weird reason. Songs for the Deaf came out in 2002. That was like a huge hit. How do these people not know who Dean Fertitta is? I'm offended for him. They're offending in every way. Yeah. The last part of this quote about the show I saw, by the way, which was my memory 100%. In the end, such fickle things as sound quality didn't matter to the beer-fueled crowd. The first encore of Steady As She Goes inspired old-fashioned fist-pumping and head-thrashing, which is probably what everyone really came to do, which is a very cynical way of saying that, but that is my recollection. I remember very much enjoying the show. I was front row or very close to it. It's a standing room thing, but I was very, very close, and I was relatively comfortable the whole show. I saw that one with Mike. And then when Steady As She Goes came on, just a mountain of people pushed against me as if one of those big bulldozers shoved them all into me because they all rushed the stage to Steady As She Goes was such a hit of that summer. Weird. So I can see the beer sloshing around everywhere now. 
Yes, the dude bros were out in full force. All those popped collars. Yeah. So then they went on to play, again, another gig at Roseland on the 27th, and then to the Orpheum Theater in Boston, Massachusetts on the 29th. A couple pull quotes from the Boston Globe's coverage. The Raconteur set clocked in at a workmanlike 65 minutes, and the focus was on White. Try as he might to blend into the lineup, White can't escape his own star power. Mm. The audience greeted the uber-psychedelic intro to show opener Intimate Secretary with polite applause, but when White stepped to the microphone... The place erupted, and for good reason. White's gleeful squall of a singing voice and guitar freakouts were riveting, where Brenson's fine vocals and sturdy instrumental work are just plain great. I've always appreciated magazine and newspaper writers' attempts to explain what Jack White does. (laughs) Yeah, squawk, shriek. Howl, screams, yeah, <laughs> manic fits. I think all you need to do to understand it is to watch that scene from It Might Get Loud where he is literally telling a child to step on a guitar and telling him that is music. <laughs> I forgot about that. Holy crap. So that stretch of shows ends on the 30th of September in Metropolis, Montreal. Oh, wow. And then we're back to Europe for another stretch of 10 shows. Now, this stretch of shows is interesting. Is it because Jack White has finally reached the golden flyer ticket on Delta Airlines? (laughs) (laughs) Because I I am pretty sure he's just trying to go for Diamond Club member or whatever it's called. So the stretch of 10 shows. Okay, so now they start recording them. Now, I don't know if he's recording them up to this point. That is for future Vault releases to tell us. But after this, almost all of these shows come out as a promotional swag CD set, courtesy of varying labels ranging from Third Man itself to XL to this thing called Concert Live. Hmm. These are CDs. They're typically two CD sets with original art from Rob Jones on each CD, and they are limited to a thousand copy print run sold sold at shows. Now, I went on to the Ebays after I learned about this. Yeah, no, I've never heard of this. Please. They go for anywhere between 30 and 100 bucks. Really? I had no idea these things even existed. I didn't either. To Ebay with me. Yes. So... First to the Carling Academy. Now, he plays this thing called Carling a bunch. I looked up this. Academy really is seems to be a string of venues connected with Academy Music, which is a music group in the UK. Mm-hmm. But this first show, it was collected on one of those CDs, and it's got a really crazy cover image featuring Satan. From there, we go to the Carling Apollo, also released on CD. This one has artwork by Rob Jones. This release actually claims to be from the Apollo but actually, disc one was recorded at the Academy in Glasgow on October 14th, and disc two at the Academy in Newcastle on October 18th. From there, we go to the Newcastle show, which was also released, this one via XL, Concert Live, Third Man. A cartoon walrus is on the cover. It's kind of funny looking. It's got a monocle and a top hat, so that works for me. From there, they go to, spell B-R-I-X-T-O-N, Brixton. Brixton. He's been to the Broken Brixton Girl. <laughs> Then they go to, they they play actually two nights in Brixton, and both of those are collected. One of them has a cool cowboy hat instructional cover. I think it's how to wear your cowboy hat. Yes, please. The other just straight up has a cowboy on the cover. From there they go to Colston Hall, collected on a CD, artwork by Rob Jones. From there they go to a place called Rock City in Nottingham, England, and another one with Rob Jones art. Civic Hall, again, another one with Rob Jones art. 
Then they go back to Liverpool University, where they started their tour. And then this one also collected on CD. This one's going for about $85 on eBay. Rob Jones art on that one, too. And then the last one I couldn't actually find a CD for at the HMV in Oxford Street, London. It's the lane you get in when you have more than two passengers in your car. (laughs) (laughs) Then we're back to really the longest stretch of these short... I'm exhausted just talking about this. Imagine actually living this thing. Yeah. They go back to North America. Oh, God. They play Las Vegas at something called Vigus 2006 on October the 28th. The Carpathian. And then, yeah. Why for you came? Why am I dripping with the Jack White goo? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> All right. So then something really weird happens. And I don't know if you knew this. I did not. Then they start opening for Bob Dylan. Whoa. For the month of November... The Tours joined Bob Dylan's northeastern leg of his tour as his opening act. They play a total of eight gigs with him. They play in Portland, Maine on November the 9th. Boston, Massachusetts at the Aganis Arena on the 11th. Let's play a little bit of store-bought bones from that show. I mean, it's a lot of great exposure for Jack. I think it might be partly what really endeared him to the classic rock contingent. Him and Bob Dylan were friends, so it, it makes sense that maybe that's why he joined up with him. But it definitely makes sense because Jack covers Bob Dylan all the friggin' time. Yes, he does. So then we go to Boston, Massachusetts, second night at Aganis. Aganis? Aganis? Aganis. Whatever. Somebody from Boston, tell me how it's pronounced. Agnes. Yeah, this is a great segment, actually. Let's play a little bit of Jack introducing the band from that show. Young with James Patrick Keeler. And Mrs. Felt in the laundry room, she'll, she'll, be, she'll be folding, you'll be fluffing, and she'll say, who is the other lead singer up there with the blonde hair? Do you say it's Brendan Benson? So as you can hear, Jack's working on his stand-up comedy routine. James, Fantastic. Yeah. Just like us, except we're failing a little more. <laughs> it's funny to me, though, that listening to you rattle off these Bob Dylan tour dates because just take a look at bob dylan's tour schedule he's doing a logical thing in going to venues that are close by (laughs) whereas jack is like i'm gonna go to europe today yeah i feel like japan today brendan i'm brendan what's your name from there they go to uniondale new york at the nassau coliseum that's a pretty big venue they're graduating size of venues attaching themselves to dylan's tour mm-hmm. and they go to amherst massachusetts and they play university of massachusetts at the mullen center they play continental airlines arena in east rutherford new jersey again a oh, very nice. very big 
arena. They've played the Patriot Center in Fairfax, Virginia, and then they played the Wachovia Spectrum in Philly. Oh, which is probably the last time he played Philly because <laughs> 2006 was the last show. It might just be internet rumor, but it was he played to an uncaring crowd or something like that. Well, yeah, they were all there to see Bob Dylan. Now we're back to his tour. They continue on to Nashville. They play City Hall on November the 19th. For the rest of these shows, by the way, they're doing more like novelty gigs. Okay. Yeah, you're playing your City Halls. On December the 8th, they play something called Not So Silent Night 2006 at the Civic Auditorium in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. On the 10th, they play K-Rock here in L.A. in Universal City, which is pretty cool. Nice. Called the Almost Acoustic Christmas. And then the final stop for them on this tour is the Riviera Theater in Chicago. They play there on the 30th, and then they do a New Year's Eve show to end their tour at the Riviera on the 31st. Opening act for them that night was The Features. The set list for that show is Level, mm -hmm. Into Hands, Intimate Secretary, Steady As She Goes, Bang Bang, My Baby Shut Me Down, again. Again, yeah. Yeah, Broken Boy Soldier, and that was the final song of 2006. Then after that, they played Old Lang Syne. Nice. And followed by the set closer, Blue Veins. Was this show recorded, do you know? Or? I found Steady As She Goes. Let's play it. I'm curious to hear old anxiety, honestly. I know. I couldn't find that one. That brings the tour to a close here. Of the shows I talked about, the count is 71. Holy crap. That's a busy, busy year. Now, that's only and the sh shows I found. I think there are more out there. started in March. Yeah. That's just the shows I found. I think there are more out there, honestly, because the website I was using, which is very, very handy, is a setlist website. Very cool. I have that in the show notes, but... I found other show discussion, like at the Fonda Theater, that wasn't included on that website. So it's very possible the show total comes to more than 71. Wow. That is a long, long tour. We'll just go through a couple of the covers here that they played on this tour. Yes. We talked a lot about Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down. This, this song was written by Sonny Bono and performed most famously by Nancy Sinatra. And I, I guess Cher, too. But uh, So let's play a little bit of that original version. <laughs> Seasons came and changed the time When I grew up I called him mine He would always laugh and say Remember when we used to play Bang, bang I shot you down, bang, bang He's got the raconteur's aesthetic of that storytelling western vibe to it. Yes. That's played out definitely for effect in the raconteurs. Right, right. And so uh, the next one here, uh, heading heading for the Texas border by the Flaming Groovies. Again, we're sensing a theme here. Mm -hmm. It starts to get a little off theme with covering Gnarls Barkley's Crazy, hmm. which, by the way, was a huge hit that summer. Let's hear a little bit of the Rex covering that song. I love that song, and I love the Rex cover of it. And I was really hoping to hear it. I had heard rumors at the time that he was doing it live, and I I didn't hear it when I saw him, and I was kind of bummed. But what are you going to do? 
Yeah. Then they played Who Do You Love, originally written by Bo Diddley. A song called Teenage Kicks by The Undertones. Awesome tune, by the way, very racks. Something, uh, a song called Samuel Sin by someone named Danko Jones. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please, Danko. So that's a thing, I guess. Is uh, it Danko or Dango? Danko. Like oh, Dank. great. Yeah. Yes, please. 420 Blaze It. 420 Blaze It. Uh, it Ain't Easy, uh, written by Ray Davies, po- popularized by David Bowie. A House Is Not a Motel by Love. Keep It Clean by uh, Charlie Jordan. Floating by Jape. Send Me a Postcard by Shocking Blue. Baby Please Don't Go by Big Big Joe Williams, uh, popularized by Van Morrison's group Them. A lot of songs that they did together. But. But. The best one I found is this week's Rag and Bone. Oh, Rag and Bone. Rag and Bone. Rag and Bone. Rag and Bone. Our rag and bone, if for those of you who don't know, is when we find just something weird and obscure and just overall brings us a lot of joy when we're doing the research for these shows. So it's something we stumble across that we thought, you know, just as a little, uh, it's a little rag and bone that we could, we might perchance purvey to you. Okay. They might need it. If you don't want it, we'll take it. Well, purvey on this. All right. So on the Rack and Tours tour. 2006 they play a song called the christian life okay which i found unusual because of the lyrics and because of what it sounded like it sounded a little old-timey little baptisties kind of that kind of vibe let's play a little bit of them covering that from leeds The Christian Life is a cover by a, a group of brothers called the Lovin' Brothers. Okay. And it's from an album called Satan is Real, released in 1959. Good. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, that sounds like a funny album title. What are these Weird Al jokesters up to? Oh, they're not joking. These, oh, no. these guys almost exclusively sang about how everyone should be terrified of Satan. Oh. (laughs) So I came across this thing, and then I kept digging. Oh, no. Paul, no. The Lovin' Brothers, an American country music duo composed of Ira Lonnie Laudermilk and Charlie (laughs) Elzer Laudermilk, (laughs) born in 1924 and 1927, respectively. Right, the hit stars of the next Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, they changed their name to Lovin. Uh, Ira Lovin was notorious for his drinking, womanizing, and volcanic temper. This is all via, oh, Wiki- it's all via Wikipedia. He was married four times. His third wife, Faye, shot him four times in the chest. Holy <laughs> shoot. And twice in the hand. I want, in the hand? I want to know what was happening, why she thought. As the old saying goes, uh, five times in the chest, yeah. twice in the hand. Uh, after and and after he allegedly tried to strangle her with a telephone cord. Oh my god! Although seriously injured, he survived. Uh, Faye is reported to have said, "If the bastard don't die, I'll shoot him again." Oh my god! <laughs> when performing and drinking, Iron would sometimes become angry enough on stage to smash his mandolin when he was unable to tune it, and when sober, glue it back together. <laughs> 
his style, oh, his man. his style was heavily influenced by Bill Monroe, which you can hear by by listening to it, and his brother Charlie, who had a tempestuous relationship with Ira. Obviously, yeah. this is the original Oasis. Yeah, uh, and considered him one of the top. He, he was considered one of the top mandolin players in Nashville. The cherry on the cake is the album cover. It is the brothers standing in front of a gigantic Satan cutout amongst hot coals that all of which was set on fire. And apparently they nearly burned themselves to death while shooting the cover photo. Great, 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 great. <laughs> That's the Lovin' Brothers. the So now we're going to kick it to our third man for this week. And welcome to our third man this week, Mr. Tom Valenti. Tom, how you doing tonight? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How's it going, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's going it's going well tom is a is a member of the third man house band as we call them uh tom helped to record and played guitar and contributed vocals to the theme song for yep. uh for this podcast and might i say it's a kick-ass one at that yeah it was it was pretty cool i enjoyed doing it yeah we all spent a uh, real sweaty gross afternoon in a uh, bedroom together and learned a lot, <laughs> a lot about one another Yes. Explored each other's instruments. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom and I, as it turns out, have been to many of the same Jack White shows together, and we just never knew it, and we were just sort of there at different times, right? Tom, this is kind of weird. We were at some rack shows together, Jack shows together. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we were just talking like, oh, I saw this show at MSG, and that, and yeah, I was like, I was at that one too. So yeah, it's funny, like. Ten years later, we found out that we were in the same place at the same time. Yeah, kind of a small jackalite world. What was your first jack show? First one was the White Stripes at Keyspan Stadium in uh, Coney Island. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. What uh, tour was that? I'm pretty sure that was the Get Behind Me Satan tour. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was really good. Was he rocking the mustache? Yeah, he had the tiny devil mustache going. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was really cool. And we had a good spot. It wasn't, it's not a huge stadium. And we weren't super close to the stage, but we were, had a good eye line and they were terrific. They were really, really cool. Nice. Funny enough, too, it was the first time we had seen or heard of Brendan Benson. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. opened for the opener. What? Really? Who I think was the Shins? Yes. Oh, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Wait, so Brendan, Brendan was opening for the opener? Yeah. For Jack? He was the first act before, like, the opener came out. So he was like, we got there really early, and he performed. That's kind of funny, because when we saw him for our first show with the White Stripes, uh, Nick Cave opened for the opener. And Mm -hmm. Nick Cave is like a, you know, he's he's a well-known name. Yeah. And then they had this, like, old Nashville country star who, I guess, I I mean, me and Paul had no idea who he was. But it was very, it's bizarre, because they had this big guy big name guy open for this. I was at that one. I was, that was the garden show, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we were there the same night, but I saw that show too. <laughs> See Tom, this and keeps that was with us, right? Yeah. This is what, yeah, this is exactly what we're talking about. This, that was, the Icky, <laughs> that was the Icky Thumps tour, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. You're always yeah, one she- step ahead of us. <laughs> so, well, it's funny enough you mentioned Brendan Benson. This episode is about the Tours' first tour in 2006, the Broken Boy Soldier Tour. What's your name? And as we were going through these dates, we sort of detailed the various legs of the tour. Now, I saw him at Roseland Ballroom, and that was on uh, September the 25th. But on September the 24th, he played House of Blues in Atlantic City, and you were at that show. I was. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Not Atlantic City. Atlantic City is terrible. And if you don't have any reason to go there, don't go there ever. <laughs> we uh, we had James's bachelor party at Atlantic City, and it was gross. That's I I, I haven't been to a bachelor party there, but I I know people that have, and gross or not, they had a good time. Oh yeah, yes, we did. Atlantic yeah. City, very fun, very yeah, very gross, very fun. <laughs> <laughs> I got into a fight, like with a not a physical fight, but like a, a verbal match with an actual carny. What? Yeah. Um, Was it Jack White? Step right up, step right up. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, gather round. Let me tell you all about the Mac and Jack Wonder Potion, guaranteed to give you unbelievable power. <laughs> now listen here, Mick. It can give you the strength of a raging bull. I told you, get on that Ferris wheel. <laughs> well, that's kind of what happened. The guy was trying to get me to play one of the games. I was walking with my wife, and I was like, oh, no thanks. And then on our way back, he like came over to us and was like threatening me to play his game. And I was like, wow, all right. Was he like the Saw guy? Was he like, do you want to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was more like Cletus from The Simpsons. Oh, cool. Cool. Oh, no. The Simpsons. Hey, no! <laughs> I got you my mama from over here. Yeah. Our podcast is slowly devolving into a Simpsons <laughs> podcast, I swear to God. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a cool show. Who opened for the racks that night? Do you remember? Dr. Dog. I th- I oh, no, nice. A coworker of mine actually does a lot of graphic design and poster work for them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He comes in with nice. a Dr. Yeah. Dog hat every day. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I think they followed them around for a bulk of that tour, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, did you go into the show expecting anything? Not really. I was more just curious to see how it would be, because I think it was the first time I saw Jack play with a full band. Yeah. So I was just excited to see how that was. And yeah, it was great. Yeah, nice. What was the crowd like? It was a good mix, actually. It was kind of like, I noticed a lot of couples, too. I think maybe people did what we did, where they like took a weekend to go down to Atlantic City to see the show. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, it seemed like a pretty good mix of age ranges, and it wasn't problematic like other shows I've been to, where you know people are pushing you to get to the front an hour into the show or giving you side eye. I, I've been to a couple of shows in New York, uh, White Stripe shows actually, where like the crowd seemed too cool to enjoy the show. Kind of like the Radio City show. A little bit, yeah. This was at Irvin Plaza. Okay. This was a secret show too, like not like secret, but it was like a last minute announcement. Maybe I think on MySpace it was that long ago. And oh, man. wow. Was Jack on your top eight? Um yes. It, he was he was so cool he had a top three. <laughs> <laughs> My wife found it. It was like an, a last minute announcement and she was like, oh, I'm gonna go 
because she worked in the area at the time, so she waited online for the tickets. And we were able to get them, and it was awesome. We were really excited. And we were having a great time, but it was weird because these people around us seemed annoyed that we were enjoying ourselves, like <laughs> singing along and, and dancing. And then at one point, Jack had to stop the show and have somebody kicked out because he was trying to start a mosh pit. Oh, God. yeah. Uh, like even um, in our White Blood Cells show, we went over how Jack was getting tired of trying to meet people's expectations when he was touring already. He was only on his like third album. <laughs> so he was going to New York and people were like... Oh, so you're the famous Jack White. Will impress us. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't blame him for being annoyed by that, though. Yeah, no, 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 no. I've been to shows in other cities, and they seem a lot more enthusiastic. You mentioned the push toward the front. That happened with me at Roseland. I'm happy that you did not share that experience in Atlantic City. <laughs> yeah, Atlantic, the Atlantic City crowd, as far as I remember, was pretty cool, pretty chill. Yeah, nice. we definitely had that with the Dead Weather show. I can't recall if we had it with the Consolers tour. Because I think at that point, it was mostly, you know, Stripes fans and Brendan yeah. heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rax show had the difference with that first Tours tour was that they had a top five single mm-hmm. on the radio. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like the second Rax tour, they did not. Okay. So yeah, the closest they had was five on the five. And even that was it made a lot of movie yeah. <laughs> like soundtracks. Yeah, the licensing cleaned up on that. I remember at the Dead Weather show, after I had said I, I remembered the push, I also remember there was a little kid who was trying to get high and oh, was, yeah, and he threw oh, yeah. up in the middle of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, do you remember any highlights from the show? Yeah, I think they did Bang Bang, the Nancy Sinatra song. That was, yeah. that was really cool. was the first time i'd heard their rendition of it yeah their cover is kick-ass that song was making the internet rounds the live version at the time just because like they were playing some cool covers like that and crazy yeah their crazy cover is really cool i didn't i wasn't at the show when they played that i saw a video of it at a festival or something but i didn't see it live was that a bonnaroo thing it might have been but yeah ultimately it was just neat to see him with a full accompaniment and what he could do i like the sparseness of the white stripes and the sound that he gets with that, but it was neat to see him play in a more traditional format. And them able to do more harmonizing and things like that with Brendan Benson and Yeah, that was one thing I noticed pretty clearly actually. With Brendan and Jack, it started out as me going, How can I tell their voices apart? And I had to actually, <laughs> you know, pick out the voices for the first time, you know, it, it seemed like a, an unknown because their voices sounded so good together and they sounded so in a similar range. So I, I was, yeah, I was finding it hard sometimes to even decipher who was Brendan and who was Jack. Yeah. Especially when they're in the higher register, when they're singing kind of like mid range, it's easier to tell them apart, but when they go higher, they can sound a little similar, but they just mesh really well together. How big was the venue? It was a good size and it was pretty full. I'd say it was, if memory serves, it was bigger than Roseland. Jay, I'm sorry, James was holding uh, James was holding back a very mature joke um, about it being a good size and very full. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll try to choose my words more wisely. <laughs> oh man! Well, on that fine note, uh, well, I think that'll about 
do us here. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, is there uh, is there anything you want to plug while you're here, while we got you? My website, if you want to see some drawings and stuff, some illustrations, it's uh, tomvalente.com. And I'm going to be launching a webcomic in the new year called woolgatheringcomics.com. Oh, nice. sweet. For those of you who don't know, it's V-A-L-E-N-T-E is how you spell Valenti. Yeah, and then Wool Gathering is a comic strip I did for a, a few years ago, and I'm going to resurrect it and uh, start putting it out again in the new year. So if people want to check it out, stop by the websites. All right, now back to the show. Cool. Back to the show. So that'll do it for the Third Men podcast this week. Thank you all for listening. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of great feedback, especially on our now-coined term, Jackcent. Yes, oh, I love that term. Some people find it not quite accurate. Some people say it's endearing. I'm going to err on the side of it's endearingly bad. Yes, uh, Adrienne on our uh, Facebook group, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, told us it sounds a little Elvisy. I don't I know. I could see it. I could see it. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, everybody, so much for the support. The love we're getting from you guys is just really, really great. And, you know, if you know a Jack White fan, please spread the word. It really helps us get the shows to more people. And we and that's what we're, we're doing this for. We're not doing it for money or anything like that. We're just doing it to connect with the fan base and, and learn together. Yeah, if you'd like to connect with us, you could tweet at us at ThirdMenCast on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen. If you want to go straight to the source for the episodes that we post, you can go to thirdmen.wordpress.com, and that's where that's the blog where we post all the new episodes. You can also find us on Podomatic, post on there as well, and on YouTube. James does these awesome videos that go with, with each show, so check that out. You can email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. We also have a Tumblr, tumblr.com slash blog slash third men podcast, uh, or just search third men podcast on Tumblr. I met some cool people on there. Yeah, we've, we've been really excited and we're really enjoying reading what you guys have to say and uh, really enjoying recording this podcast for you guys. And uh, we'd like to thank uh, Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for our theme song. Yes. We're the third men. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, Sam did all the recording and engineering on that and Tom... Helped out with uh, guitar and vocals, and we had a blast recording it when we did it together, and it's really cool. So thanks, Sam and Tom. We'd like to thank our third man of the week, Tom Valenti. Thank you, Tom. You're the best, Tom. I just want to thank uh, Susanna Roundtree for recording the intro to our podcast and the outro to our podcast. She deserves a lot of thank yous because it is great, and we love it. Yeah, you can go to SuzanneAnimated.com. You can check out the Suzanne Tumblr. Um, she's just a really talented artist. And yeah, check all that stuff out. Thank you, James, for all the awesome artwork. Oh, you're, you're welcome. In association with the, the podcast and for those awesome Halloween avatars. How cool was that? It was so good. Well, you're very welcome. <laughs> and I do enjoy making an art an artworks. <laughs> anyway, I think that's going to do it <laughs> for us. Thank you guys for joining us, and as always, I'll be looking for a home. I'll be looking for a home. See ya. See you next week. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
Gross, gross, gross. Radio. <laughs> if if any white stripe is kawaii, it's Meg. So. <laughs> Walrus and the carpenter. Underneath the mud in the Brixton, looking for a store bought Fixton. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Ariel! <laughs> I interrupted you. <laughs> pick a pick a white.